Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Only Podcast. I'm your co-host, Austin Smith, joined, as always, by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And, as always, follow the mothership at Believe Network. Guys, football is back. It's back. And Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates and statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, Bet Online gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promote, promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome, de- welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. John? Hmm? Uh, how was your weekend? Um, eventful. It's, was it? What'd you do? You go you go swimming? Did you, you know, go? Did, yep, swimming. We had gymnastics. Um, went, uh, had some people over. Yeah, it was a wonderful little weekend filled with a little Saturday night news dump, if I recall. Oh, interesting, yeah. Yeah, did you hear it? Did you tune into that at all? Um, no, really, this is my first time coming up for air. I was living underwater for the last few days. Just, you know, I, I do it once a year, just kind of submerge, get away from things. And uh, yeah, right before we jumped on, first time I've gone on the Internet. And uh, boy, howdy, Aaron Rodgers hurt his, net, hurt his Achilles, huh? That's what you have to be talking about, right? Absolutely, yeah. Shocker in the sports world. Absolutely. God. Okay, well, let's, let's actually get into it. And uh, listen, we don't want to make light of the situation that's happened at Michigan State. Um, if you hadn't heard, like you were like me living underwater, uh, head football coach Mel Tucker has been suspended indefinitely without pay for sexual harassment. We're not going to dig into the gory details here on this show. If you've listened to the show over the years, unfortunately, we've dealt with situations similar to this in the past. Um, We are not here to litigate or to solve anything, just to state the facts and how it impacts the program. Um, Needless to say, this is, well, first of all, I, I think we do have to say our, our sympathies and condolences go out to um, those that are affected. Uh, again, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but uh, fair to say that what was done by Mel Tucker was, from what we understand, um, wrong and a poor reflection on the university. Um, and I think just as a as an alum, as a fan, as a member of the Spartan community, it's it's certainly embarrassing and disheartening that we are once again here talking about transgression by those in leadership within the athletic department at Michigan State. Uh, 
for what is, I think, the third time in the last eight years, some significant story is is surfaced. And it's just, to me, more than anything else, just very disheartening and and heartbreaking. Um, yeah, John, I don't know if you have anything to add there. Oh, you, you nailed disappointing, painful. Uh, so sorry to everyone that may, you know, have to re-reflect on, on some challenging things that have happened, you know, certainly to the people affected this time. Um, it's it's really disappointing, not only that it happened, but also as we slowly learn the details of where and how and uh, what uh, actions were or were not taken um, and in what order. There's certainly a lot of things in question. We're not going to get into that until it's determined fact. Um, so, but what, like Austin said, we do know um, Mel Tucker is is out, and and Harlan Bennett Barnett. Sorry, sorry, Harlan Barnett will be that guy. He's been around for a while. Yeah, that's that's my bad. <laughs> I, I just like. And uh, and special guest Mark D'Antonio, um, yep, will be joining the staff. Uh, wow! Like we keep saying, where to begin? Do you want to? Yeah, I, I mean, it's fair to again pick through like some of the details here because because on a very technical note, Mel Tucker has not been fired. He has been suspended indefinitely without pay. There is a hearing coming up uh, on October fifth and sixth, which is Michigan State's bye week, uh, where. You know, you would expect some decisions to be made, testimonies to be heard, et cetera, um, at which point I'd imagine a, a final decision thereafter will be rendered. But as you said, you know, for the foreseeable future on the field and in the building, uh, Mel Tucker not going to be a part of that picture in his place. Like you said, Harlan Barnett, longtime uh, defensive backs coach, at one time associate head coach at Michigan State. Uh, was with D'Antonio for quite some time, kind of during the you know glory days, back in the the mid-teens. Left temporarily to go to Florida State to be the defensive coordinator. Uh, has since returned to be part of Mel Tucker's staff, and uh, yeah, now finds himself as the interim head coach, uh, with like you said, Mark D'Antonio as the interim associate head coach. Um, Barnett, by all you know, reports thus far, has been opened with welcome arms by the team. They've rallied around him and each other in this trying, impossible situation for them. And uh, you know, this is appears to be a galvanizing moment. Sitting here two days after the fact, um, I think in particular it is worth us kind of talking about. You know, we will talk longer term future here, but short term future. Uh, the move to bring back Mark D'Antonio as an associate head coach, I think, is is a very uh, interesting one. Um, Mark D'Antonio is not without his own flaws and, uh, you know, the way certain things were handled during his tenure won't sit right with everybody. But at the same point in time, he was the face of what I would I think anybody at this point would call kind of the, the golden generation of, of Michigan State football. He kind of embodied stability and uh, is is really a consummate Spartan, even through tenures Tucker or Tucker's tenure. <laughs> uh, he was kind of ever present. 
I mean, really kind of right, right from the beginning. Uh, it, and what makes that all the more, I would say, um, you know, reflective of his character is that the terms he left the, the university on were not great. They were not incredible. I don't think Mark D'Antonio, you know, if you asked him to a man and, you know, I, yes, he retired, but, you know, a lot of other people out there would have you maybe rightfully believe that he he didn't have that choice completely to himself and that maybe there were some external for- forces that said, you know, maybe, hey, Mark, it's it's uh, it's time to go. But either way, he's stuck around. He's He's been retired for a few years, but now is back in action. I don't expect him to be around long term, but for this season, I thought it was, uh, you know, from a PR perspective, kind of a genius move on the athletic department department's uh, um, you know, part, and then additionally, um, just again to bring in someone that embodies stability is is a smart move. So uh, that's your new kind of brain trust, I suppose, for the time being. Um, John, what what was your reaction when you heard uh, D'Antonio was coming back? I just thought I was a little surprised that he was open to it, considering maybe the terms he left on. Not that they were glaringly bad, but it certainly didn't feel as warm and fuzzy as it could have been, right? Uh, so little surprised he wanted it, um, but, you know, he's, he's, he looks great. You know, when he, he looks <laughs> relaxed, when he's in his, the photos that he shows, like, I wonder if he's reset a bit and thought, Maybe I still got the itch. You know, I don't know. Um, so, you know, who knows what if it's just this year or what his angle is. Uh, surprised because of the aforementioned details as it relates to the specific types of transgressions that have taken place, that yeah. he would um, grab at least part of the the steering wheel here. Um, with that. I don't know how anyone is supposed to feel. I can only speak for myself and that like, not just the whole thing is, is candidly a bit embarrassing, but I I think the thing that I've worked myself through is like, it's not a reflection on me or you as a fan uh, that, that a person like our, the head coach of the university made a terrible, terrible misjudgment. Um, and and potentially crime, uh, I think. So, I, but it doesn't mean you it's that you are not allowed to watch and cheer for the team who had with the coaches nothing to do with this, right? So um, that's where I am divorcing the the issue from the program at this point. Uh, everyone's free to feel differently about that, obviously. Um, we will get into that upcoming game, which um, coincidentally was going to be a one of the more um, I don't know uh, bellwether opponent or games on the schedule of Mel Tucker's career, right? Like yeah. we had circled this game last year as like where are you at as a program, and yep. um, he's not there anymore but that's question still remains for the program right so we'll get to the 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 bigness of this game um i guess at the end of the ep 
But um, yeah, I think I think all we can do right now, and and the last little bit I want to say is, you know, it's so easy to not tweet. Like, (laughs) don't like rule number one: don't tweet. Like, there's just been so much bullshit, and I'm sorry, you know, but it's and and it's not just from like small name bunch of numbers it's real accounts big prominent like team associated other team other program associated stuff and it's like um remember it's always an option to log off i guess i'll just leave it at that like because it's not healthy and until you have all the information you can't really come to any type of full conclusion so i just recommend waiting because in in the meantime you're just going to be filling your head and time with <laughs> candidly stuff that's not going to probably make you happy at the end of the day so that's it yeah i i agree with that um this shouldn't be rivalry fodder yeah, listen i i you know people want to talk about how toxic the rivalry is with you know with yep. and a certain other school this is a good moment if you are mm-hmm. one of the people that you know, says, no, it's not, or like, oh, wow, it is. Guess what you could do right now? Not feed into it. Mm-hmm. You could you could easily play a part in, in making sure that this remains roughly civil. Uh, I mean, again, I think if the shoe was on the other foot, I would say the same thing to Michigan State fans. Like, this is your moment to try and be the leaders and the best. <laughs> and to... Uh, to represent what you claim to represent. This is your time. So this is a message to both sides. And I think from a Michigan State perspective, there's plenty of other rivalry fodder you could use. If you get fired at first, I would encourage you to take your finger uh, off the tweet button and simply, or the X, whatever we're calling it now, uh, don't do it. Just just don't. Don't do it. Um, I, I think we should, John, kind of talk about what this means for the program writ large. Um, right now, though, because I think what you're—it's it, hard to say that anything that's taken place in the last 48 or so hours is a you know universally good thing. Because I think we can all agree it's not. It's put people in, made them dig up past traumas, just just done horrible things to people's psyche, and and put a black eye on uh, you know the university. I think. For the football program in general, uh, well, really, and we've, we've learned a lot of alleged things about the behavior of a man that is was given the keys to the kingdom, right? This is, we are not even two full calendar years. I don't even know if we're that far past one full calendar year since Mel Tucker signed a 10-year, $95 million contract. And while we have preached on this show time and time again, don't count somebody else's money, which I'm not encouraging you to do right now. When, uh, one thing I will say is when you sign that contract and you make that commitment to a university, there are expectations of you, not necessarily even because of the money, but just because of what that all symbolizes. You're the head coach at a major, you know, his, his contract doesn't make this transgression any better or worse. But what it does do is it makes you ask questions about those who signed him to this contract. And whether this was, you know, uh, the only transgression that was going on. It's not this big mental leap to say, hey, I, I wonder if all of the right background checks were done. I wonder if maybe we were covering up some things 
because we thought we could win football games instead of be, you know, an upstanding program like maybe we should have prioritized being. So I've got a lot of questions for those in leadership. I've got a lot of questions for those who put their names on the paper. Got a lot of questions for the man that signed the paper. Uh, And I think that that might be the thing to me personally that's a little bit more upsetting here is that, you know, I'm sure more will come out. I can't claim to know everything that went on here, timing, all of that, this, that, and the other thing. But typically, things like this aren't isolated incidents. And if it's not an isolated incident, you have to wonder who's ultimately accountable for this and how far up the chain does this need to go? I mean, Michigan State's been kind of like infamously without a real president of the university on and off for many, many years now. The AD situation has turned over time and again. I mean, Alan Haller isn't even the one who hired Mel Tucker. The Board of Trustees has long been, you know, a, a, a group that draws criticism. Gretchen Whitmer, the governor, has even stepped in and had something to say about this. So really, there's I don't I guess I'm saying all this to say, like, leadership, th- this is reflective of leadership at a university level. And I think that's where it is embarrassing as an alum. Like, you sh- it shouldn't change your enthusiasm for your school. It shouldn't make you root against these guys on Saturday or anything like that. But it, sh- it can enable you to demand change from the place that you love so much. Like, that's fair. I think we've said that before when it comes to stuff like this. Like, you as a fan, as an alum, as a person, as a Michigander, as a Big Ten supporter, as just a decent human being, can expect more from people in leadership. And, you know, this is an opportunity to to do just that from all levels of a university. So uh, it that's the bigger thing that I think is sticking with me is it's a total failure from top to bottom to put somebody to, to, to potentially not do the amount of research you should have done into someone hand them a contract in order to win football games anyway, and not put human decency to a level like in, in the priority list where it should be. So, you know, bit of a diatribe there. I know people don't come here for politics, but that was just something that's been sticking with me the last few days. And I think is, is fair to demand of your leadership. And that segues nicely into the current leadership in place, you know, at the football program level, this, potentially could be a tryout this could be just what it is which is an interim position through the end of the year and then an ad is hired and their first point of order will be to hire a football coach whether it's retaining or uh the current staff or finding a new regime that's pretty seismic that is happening for what it's worth the faster that they can without a president or, or at least a uh, a fault a, a non-interim president uh, first point of order would be to um, you know I, I don't know if Alan Haller survives this it's, it's kind of like what we're, it's we're, hard to it's hard to envision again I, we're kind of talking uh, pers- like yeah. opinions here but I would I don't know how he does either so even if he does you know like the first point of order for the athletic director will be the most important job of the athletic director at any organization is hiring a football coach. And uh, MSU is in the glass half full of the terrible situation position of 
being able to start looking today ahead of everybody where there are no other vacancies right now, um, which is the opposite of the situation last time around. So um, there's that. And uh, be very curious how this plays out. Um, obviously, we're going to be tuned in. Um, I don't know if there's a right answer, though. So. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's we can take the politics out of it and look at it in a vacuum and say that I, I think what this does, based on what we know about what's happened and everything, is what this gives Michigan State a chance to do is to, is to reset the culture. Because if this was all going on behind closed doors, there's no way players didn't know some of this stuff. There's no way rumors weren't circulating. It's just it, it, I just refuse to believe it. And this complaint was first registered last December. This is a person that they all knew who had given speeches to them. They're very familiar with her work. And something was percolating there which actually gives a little bit of insight into maybe why Mel Tucker is short in his interviews and why there wasn't as much access and why maybe, yep. you know, Michigan State struggled with NIL. Mm -hmm. hmm. Now, if those things might be connected. So what it does, is it gives Michigan State University the chance to wipe the slate clean, totally reset the culture and reestablish what their values are. And again, say what you want about Mark Antonio, his face and his tenure embody stability. So I think with him and Harlan Barnett at the helm for the next, you know, whether it's this season or beyond this season, it's a great group to at least steward the, the, you know, the program to its, its next landing spot. Now, um, you know, you, you make a good point, John, when it comes to, in a way, it's better that it's happening. If you're going to fire your head coach, again, take the circumstances out of it. If you're going to fire your head coach, this is the time to do it. Like where you've got a chance to rally the troops, win some games, keep some guys invested, keep them around and uh, have your quote unquote pick of the litter. Again, removing these circumstances, looking at things in a vacuum, Michigan State is still an extremely well-resourced program. They just got brand new facilities. They have huge donors. And transparently, all of this may actually positively it may make more donors more comfortable with contributing to NIL, knowing that they are starting with a fresh slate. So you could, and again, call a spade a spade. This team, this program's in the Big Ten, which means every everything in college so, athletics right now. You're right. I mean, there are going to be 18 teams in the Big Ten in 2024. Um, and I believe in the SEC, they're going to be 16. So you got 34 programs that they're, those are the only ones that really matter. Like, because even if you're in the ACC or the Big 12, this, those program, that number of programs is going to be getting more money than you every year to yep. fund their program. And you got to make up that delta somehow through, and that's hard to do every single year playing catch up. So, um, it's one of, you know, <laughs> the top 34 jobs in the country, um, regardless. And I would say it's better than a lot of teams in that, in the, those uh, two conferences. So it's absolutely a destination job now, especially for coaches who are on the outside of the Big Ten and the SEC looking in, right? So um, it's not to say you can't poach 
from in those two conferences, but it's a great starting point um, if you had to be anywhere. Yeah, it. I mean, Michigan State, again, they, you know, the difference between, like, I, I guess, I don't think that fans should look at this happening and think like, oh my gosh, doom and gloom, program over, we're done, it's all, it's all dead and gone, because that's, that's just not the case. Like, this was, you know, this was one man making a series of very poor decisions. This was not, uh, unlike other things that have happened at, you know, Michigan State maybe in the past, this is not institutional failure to to that degree. Now, there is, I know I said earlier, and I stand by, leadership needs to be held responsible. Other heads, in my opinion, just absolutely have to roll because they just, based on everything you've heard, there some missteps were made and people need to be held accountable. But the this is still a extremely attractive job. And one that I think we've seen through two games, it's a program that can attract talent. It's a program that if it, uh, you know, gets the wheels running, can can win a lot. And again, is not a finished product right now, but, um, you know, it is an extremely good place to land. Now, I think, you know, as we get into the season and, and learn more, um, I think that the question does kind of become at a certain point, like, you know, how, how much turnover is too much turnover? Like in a way, is it, would it be better to keep Holland Barnett so that this roster stays together more? Because if you go for a new head coach, you risk mm-hmm. the the complete and total teardown of a roster. And if Deion Sanders keeps winning games, mm-hmm. you better believe that that is going to be even more severe the, in terms of roster turnover for uh, programs that get a new head coach and for players looking for new homes. So, you know, I, I think the spectrum of outcomes here is pretty drastic. You know, if Michigan State decides to truly just just clean house after this year, like say they win four games or something and, and it all just, you know, comes undone, which is absolutely on the table, um, then you wipe the slate clean and we might be talking about, a, a, you know, 18 new starters or something crazy like Colorado next year. Other side of the coin is if they band together and win some games. Like if they were to come out and beat Washington this week and they were to <laughs> hang with Michigan and they were to do some old like Mark D'Antonio magic things, mm-hmm. I-, I could see them making a case for keeping a lot of the same faces around and continuing to build on this this foundation. So I just have and and we have no clue which one of those outcomes is going to happen or what's more likely. So if nothing else, it gives you a reason to continue watching and, and rooting for these kids. And that actually, I think, brings me to my, my final point before we, we move on. Um, and I pass it to you for your final thoughts, if you have any. These kids didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important to remember the context. These players are innocent in all of this. And they don't deserve what's happened to them already, first of all. Uh, they deserve strong leadership. And they deserve you rallying around them the way they're rallying around each other, like as fans, as alums, as, you know, people in general, they've had to deal with something that's got to be very embarrassing for them. Uh, a lot of them were recruited by Mel Tucker. And now that that man that they thought they knew is, you know, no longer there and is a different person than than maybe they expected. So uh, Rally around them, root for them, cheer for them, support them, because they they still deserve that from the fan base. You nailed it. I, I don't know if there's much more to say. You know, I think 
there are plenty of people that are willing to talk at length about this, and we'd encourage you to seek them out and participate if you'd like. But I think we'd like to do is um, do what we can do to provide some levity to the situation. Yes, if that's indeed. even uh, okay. But, uh, you know, we love talking about the fun part of college football. This is very unfun. Um, but we're going to transition to the fun part. And it doesn't mean that we don't think that it's a big deal of what happened. It's just, um, this is our way of candidly coping a little bit, to be honest. So, 100%. Uh, so join us if you'd like as we dissect the 45 to 14 win over the Richmond Spiders. Mm. Uh, Austin, this win started slow again out of the gate, but finished strongly. And I would go as far to say that this win felt while closer in uh, score and margin and against an FCS team better than the 52 to zero win over Akron last year, which I think you and I, if we recall, felt a little smoke and mirrors. So Mm -hmm. curious your thought on that. Yeah, I mean, I might go as so far as to say Richmond, I, I don't think is a drastically different team than Central. Um, I think Central Michigan's maybe defensive front is a little bit stronger, but I didn't see a huge yeah. difference in terms of quality. Uh, I'd actually say that um, Richmond's quarterback, while maybe not as athletic, was probably a better actual quarterback mm-hmm. than um, than Central Michigan's. Uh, yeah, like you said, 45 to 14, Kyle Wickersham, you know, he did what he could. He fought for his life. He completed 16 of 22 passes, but for only 100 yards, um, ran 11 times for eight total yards, did break off a 20-yarder in there. So, I mean, I think defensively you saw from Michigan State kind of what you were hoping and expecting for. I mean, they had, you know, they totally stuffed the run, you know, while they did break a couple of big ones. Richmond, you know, 20 yarders, if you consider that big, Richmond did only have 75 total yards on the ground and 118 through the air. So once again, um, Michigan State's defense did what you want them to do. So, again, like, you know, you don't want to celebrate beating Richmond, but at the same point in time, you should celebrate when your team executes and this team execute. They did what you're supposed to do to the teams you're more talented than. Um, Offensive side of the ball, like you said, I think. The thing people will remember from this one, understandably, is the slow start. Because that's two straight games now. Before I get into giving compliments, that against Washington, that against Michigan, that against even Maryland, going to be much more difficult to overcome. Much, much, much more difficult. And I beg Jay Johnson to give Noah Kim a couple bunnies early next week. He has made either Noah Kim has decided to throw the most difficult route in any of his route trees the first three times he throws the ball every game, or Jay's drawing up, you know, two percent. He's shooting Steph Curry threes, but he's a center. Like that, like that's what I'm. He's making things too hard. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see a better early game script from Jay Johnson and company next week. Uh, that being said, Noah Kim was fantastic in this game. 18 of 22, 292 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, no especially close balls for being intercepted. Uh, from what I can recall, Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. Um, just 
Listen, I, lo- I know a lot of people were beating that Caden Hauser drum, but I don't know how you can come out of these first two two weeks feeling anything other than very excited about Noah Kim and his future at quarterback. Um, he spread the ball out very, very well. The leader in the clubhouse, though, was Trey Mosley. It was nice to see him bounce back after a big week, uh, you know, a couple of drops uh, in week one. He had five catches, 84 yards, and a touchdown. Nathan Carter. Did his thing, 19 carries, 111 yards, and three touchdowns, including a 44-yarder that he did actually house. Um, So just from an offensive perspective, I thought they did a nice job. Uh, Another theme I picked up on, and again, this isn't surprising against when you consider the talent gap, but once again in the second half, it felt like that was when Michigan State's rush offense in particular really started to step up. I mean, in general, they, you know, they all kind of, they across the board stepped up. They were only up 17, nothing at half. Things were going, but they weren't going as well as you would have wanted. And then they just started to roll outscored Richmond, 21, nothing in the third quarter, made some good adjustments um, and just really, really, really got going. So overall, I mean, pretty clean win, hard to complain about 45 to 14 when, you know, your opponent only scores, their two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and you know the game's all but over so uh yeah i mean i was i enjoyed watching it i won't lie yeah the biggest mistakes were from guys that probably won't see the field again um so i mean if you're gonna have that that's the best case scenario you found another tight end um a tiny little hopper with a touchdown catch. I was like, who yeah. is that? That was great. Um, let's see. Antonio Gates makes his first uh, touchdown catch of the year. Antonio Gates Jr. Rather. It's um, a lot. You know, you look around, like you said, I think nine different guys caught the ball. Uh, seven sacks, 13 tackles for loss. Even Jonathan Kim got in on the action with a 52 yard field goal like all in all you're kind of like okay like um okay you're starting to feel like it feels a, a little bit better than last year's going after their 2-0 and start in my eyes because if you recall the western michigan got a little scary and then the 52 to nothing Akron game felt a little not as good as the score would have indicated so through two I, I, go ahead no, I was just going to say, I, I feel as though this is just this is a better team. This is a team yeah. that's more together. I think you've seen, uh, again, you don't want to speak ill of those who, who are no longer with the program, but I think you're seeing the difference in Noah Kim versus last year's quarterback. Uh, the live arm is huge. It is noticeable. I watched Auburn after I watched Michigan State, and the difference in arm strength is is staggering to a degree just the zip you can put on a ball is is pretty special i mean this team hit they they executed on short runs they popped several long plays lots of different receivers getting out of the act you mentioned ty neil hopper jalen franklin another transfer tight end had two catches not for a ton but um you just spread the ball out really well once again jaron glover two catches 60 yards two big chunk plays from him if I'm coming out of this worried about one thing, it is the backup running back. Nathan Carter is a beast. But if Nathan Carter goes down, I don't know what's going to go on. And I think it changes a lot about this offense if he's no longer a part of it. Um, Jalen Berger got hurt in this game. 
Don't know his status. We'll find out probably on Friday. Uh, but he was walking off with ice on his shin. And we saw Davion Prim come in, fumble the ball. Um, Jordan Simmons, fumble the ball. Not what you're looking for out of your two backup running backs. Jalen Barberin didn't even dress for this game, the freshman. So this is where depth gets a little touchy. And you've already got uh, Jaron Mangum has missed the first two games. So his return could be huge. I say all of this, and now I want people to crystallize this, though. My biggest worry right now, aside from the early run blocking, is the backup running back. What Mm. would you have said was your biggest worry after two games last year? It probably would have been the quarterback Mm -hmm. or the offense or the defense. We're not at that point right now. Uh, I think we our, our worries are much more pinpointed. And I'm not saying that means they're going to win 9, 10 games, but I think you could feel a lot more solid about the product on the field. Yeah, and there's, you know, the concern you, you pointed out, there's a potential wild card coming down the pipeline and that uh, backup uh, running back Mangum will probably, I imagine would, would you know, was held out if, if for the first two games in, pre- in hopes that he could play um, yeah. against Washington. We have no idea. Um, his his uh, availability, but his skill level as the wild card, um, known to be a third down back. Um, maybe that changes things, especially in the short yardage situations that we saw Michigan State struggle a bit in. Yeah. So, um, you know, maybe your biggest concern has a solve. I don't know. We'll find out. Um, but back to, to Noah Kim, he finished the game with 15 straight completions after the slow start, three and seven, and then um, now leads the Big Ten in passing. And Nathan Carter leads the Big Ten in rushing. The defense is second in the conference in sacks. Now, they haven't played their Power 5, Power 4, whatever it is now, team yet. Um, But it's as good of a start as you could ask for. It's hard to come out of these first two games. Like, again, I think if Michigan State's first drive of this past game had been a touchdown, past game had been a touchdown drive, we're probably coming out of it. We're... We're, we're singing praises right now, left and right, instead of saying, like, uh, two straight games with a slow start. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you have to feel really good about where this team is where this team is headed. Once again, two punts down inside the 20, multiple touchbacks, just these little tiny things that they did not do at all last year uh, are, are, are looking pretty solid right now. And... Again, we've talked about it before. This team, no matter how well they've played thus far, they're still going to need those. They have to execute on those things against big boys if they want to win. So we'll see. But, yeah, can't, can't be anything less than happy after two, these first two games. Hey, we'll get into uh, the X's and O's. <laughs> By the way. <laughs> well, and we'll get into the X's and O's about, you know, what does it mean to lose your head coach uh, going into that <laughs> game? But uh, we'll get into that. But before we do, uh, let's go through some of the uh, results this past week. First, across the nation, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish cruised to a 45-14 to victory over NC State. Um, is NC State the same old Spartans of the ACC? Oh, man. I actually watched some of this game. NC State was not that far out of it. And then it just, when it fell apart, boy, did it fall apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think probably. But <laughs> probably, probably, I like this that we're finding the same old Spartans mm-hmm. in every uh, conference now. And yeah, I think they're definitely the 
big-time candidate from the ACC. Um, Mr. Hartman might be on his way to the Heisman ceremony. Listen, he's, he might have to get in a wheelchair to go there because he's 87 years old. But, yeah, <laughs> he's playing He's playing very well and proving once again that Wake Forest has an eye for talent. I don't know what to say. That's right. That's right. That's the best farm system in uh, football. Uh, <laughs> Utah uh, went into Baylor and won 20 to 13. The only thing that jumped out to me was that the teams combined to go 24 of 54 passing, zero touchdowns and three interceptions. Yeah, um, watch some of the, watch some of this one too. Uh, not exactly an offensive clinic. Listen, I don't I don't know that either of these teams are are going anywhere. I I. Don't think Dave Aranda's in trouble, but uh, 0-2 start to the season is is no bueno. Utah needs their boy Cam Rising back and back fast. Yes. Uh, Mississippi headed down to Tulane um, and wins 37-20. to And while they did that, they Tulane had the best uniforms. And uh, I, was, I was reminded that Spencer Sanders – starter at Oklahoma State the past like three years transferred to Ole Miss to be the backup did you remember did you recall this oh yes I remember well I remember <laughs> when he transferred a it was weird and then B I remember him going there and thinking like you picked the most difficult play one of truly one of the most difficult places to secure playing time probably in all of uh-huh. college because yeah. Jackson Dart was good last year and was definitely going to be the starter and is good once again. Like, I I don't understand that logic. He could have gone to, I don't know, 40 schools and probably played. Instead, he chose one that he couldn't play at. Um, I like to really good. I like to think that he is a listener of the only podcast and was super interested in the Theo Day vibes idea. And yeah. I don't know. He looked into it. Texas. I hope he's having fun. I really do. <laughs> Texas A&M uh, went down to Miami, took an L, um, and, and showed me that they are just a deeply unserious program. It, it is like the Yankees with a losing record to me. Um, 33 uh, or 48-33. to 33. You give up 48 points with that type of salary. Uh, that's disappointing. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be the verdict on whoever lost this game. Um, but Miami looked good. Mm-hmm. They dropped 48 points on list. You can, we can clown A&M for sure. They deserve it, but it doesn't mean they're not talented. They've still got a bunch of dudes on that team, but they, I read, or I heard that their offensive line is larger than the average NFL offensive line. Awesome. Um, yeah, but I don't, I, I don't know, man. I, that, that's another one where you wonder if they lose another game, how how big of a buyout is too big of a buyout for Jimmy or for for Jimbo? You know, it's like I know everyone keeps talking about it, but like for who? Like what? Are you, yeah, right. <laughs> like what are you gonna do? Like you you literally went and got a national championship winning head coach. Yeah. Like, what's the move here? But uh, it looks like they have a layup against UL Monroe this week. Um, and then they take on the Auburn Peyton Thorns. So we'll be tuning into that one for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oregon went into Texas Tech and pulled one of the 
saddest backdoor covers of all time. Oh. The 38-30 victory over uh, the Raiders. It's brutal back-to-back losses for Tech. Uh, I, I'm going to go on record to say they win a couple of games they shouldn't in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. This one always jumped out at me as like a careful type mm-hmm. of game. And yeah, Tyler Show or T- Shuff, uh, Oregon transfer, ended up throwing three picks, including, like you said, a devastating backdoor cover for those of you who were on Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, pick six to seal the game, just just brutal stuff. So um, yeah, I think, well, T-Tech actually this week landed a like top 15 recruit. I guess yeah. a lot of money's being poured into that program. Having okay. Patrick Mahomes as a famous alum certainly sure. doesn't, doesn't hurt, uh, but yeah. Look out for the Raiders, although they did lose. Nice <laughs> one for Oregon, honestly. You know, uh, yeah, good good on Oregon to be traveling down there and doing that. Um, see what Tech's got going. They got some big boys on the schedule, yeah, most glaringly at Texas, um, which will it's the end of the year, but should be exciting. Uh, speaking of Texas, heads into Tuscaloosa and beats Nick Saban by double digits. The world is upside down. It is horns up season. And I, this is one of the better wins I can remember in a, um, in a while. Like, like it's t- Texas, I think, shakes a lot of, you know, the past with a win like this. You're able to, to say this is a new regime. This is a new time. You have to prove it, but winning in Alabama is probably the best start I could imagine. I mean, you say it's one of the best wins you can remember. I mean, beating Bama at Bama has been done how many times in the last 15 years? Like, that immediately puts it in that class. So I I couldn't agree more. Um, Dude, people, I I swear, we as a society (laughs) – uh, as a football society, we get so excited about the next big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's part of the whole deal. That's why we all love the NFL draft. It's why people follow recruiting. Every once in a while, a guy slips through that was the next big thing, and then people kind of forget about him, and then he's back. At Quinn Ewers mm-hmm. was magnificent in this game. Twenty, Not a great completion percentage, 24 of 38. 349 yards and three touchdowns, including some dimes. Uh, just some beautiful, beautiful balls. Uh, two to A.D. Mitchell, who must be really enjoying beating him all these times as he was a uh, Georgia transfer. Uh, and then Xavier Worthy, you know, one of the most famous Michigan recruits in the last 25 years. Um, just incredible stuff. I, and I think what sets Texas apart this time and why this actually might be a thing is like them being good might be a thing is be- is because of yours because if mm-hmm. you he is a real deal quarterback and if you have what i think is probably right now easily qb3 in the upcoming nfl draft if not qb2 at this point uh, with how drake may has not super impressed um you've got a chance to beat anybody i mean again they're in the big 12 so you, you got to play oklahoma Got some other tricky games in there. Um, like you said, Texas Tech at the end of the year. No one, there's no real pushovers on their schedule, honestly, in the Big 12, which is ironic since it's not going to be the same next year. But yeah, big time win by Texas. Um, beating Bama at Bama is is a big one. And I feel like, 
I mean, losing to a top 11 team is, is not the end of the world, but like, are we, are we feeling like this is something for Saban? Like this is a couple years in a row now that something not great's happened. I just wonder. I, I think he set the bar too high. Like he absolutely did. When you get to a point of where you are, if you don't win a national championship, the year was a failure. That is really hard. And when your quarterback isn't a first round or second round draft pick, like which has been the case at Alabama for the last four quarterbacks, like no, I think oh oh, oh yeah, like I think you, like and you're like everyone's like oh my god is Jalen Monroe isn't like good enough or whatever it's like well I, he may not be but also like you're comparing him to Mac Jones and Jalen Hurts and Tua <laughs> Tunga Mailoa and uh Bryce Young like you know what I mean like it's kind of so ridiculous. funny you were like yeah it's been like that and I'm like well I know Bryce Young and then <laughs> oh that, oh that's right last year's NFL MVP and the guy who just threw for 450 yards this past week and the Patriots first round pick two years yeah, ago. Like, yeah. oh, oh, those guys. That's yeah. right. I forgot. Exactly. Like, I, I have a, a feel for Jalen. Like, it's tough to, yeah. to not to be in his position. But I guess it's what he signed up for. But um, I don't know if it's something to watch. I, I think the only thing that they play an away game, by the way, they playing at South Florida this week. Ooh. Which is odd. Um, is but odd. yeah, man. Then they play Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss at home. Like they still got LSU. They got Tennessee on the schedule. They lost to them last year. I, I mean, LSU's on the schedule. Well, they gave up 34 points. I mean, that's the thing that I think would scare me if I'm a Bama fan is that, like, you know, last year against Tennessee, obviously explosive offense, but like. Right. Gave up like 50-something or 40-something, giving up 35 to Texas. Again, you're a victim of your own success here, but the defense has always been the calling card with the offense kind of being like the nice-to-have, and now the offense isn't going to be that elite unit. I mean, you lost Jameer Gibbs. You lost, uh, you know, obviously Bryce Young, and I know there's others that left as well. And, you know, all of a sudden, the defense isn't looking amazing either. You just got to, I don't know. Got to ask some questions. Couldn't run the ball. Um, I think this was an eye-opening thing for us in college football. Texas couldn't run the ball either. Yeah. And in, in reality, it's so – God, when you saw Michigan, they had the best offensive line unit in the country last year and, and, and struggled. Like they couldn't run the ball against Georgia. Or, excuse me, that was two years ago. Um, you know, I think that's – I don't know how – you have to have a, a, a pulse of a running game, but to your point earlier, it's like in in today's game, it's if, if you don't have a special quarterback, it's it's damn hard uh, to win anything of significance. Yep, agreed. All right, let's keep rolling um, quickly through the Big Ten. Uh, Indiana takes down the Sycamores, forty-one to seven. I don't think there's much to read into that. No, except for Taven Jackson. Okay. I'll say this for Indiana. Uh, Taven Jackson, we talked about it before. It was a four-star recruit to Tennessee. He's only a redshirt freshman. Uh, he played well in this game. And let me pull up his stats real quick. 18 of 21 for 236 yards. Again, okay. against Indiana State. 
fair enough. But I think we'll know if they're not the doormat or one of the, the worst teams in the conference this week. So they play uh, Louisville in Indianapolis. And, again, we just talked about it. Without a great quarterback, you're not much. But if you've got a good quarterback, that can that can do some things, especially at a program. I mean, we saw it when they had Michael Penix. It was a big deal for Indiana. They were, they were legitimately a talented, competitive team when he was there. Uh, and if Taven Jackson is good – or at least competitive, that that maybe elevates them from the, the bottom of the trash heap in the Big Ten. It's true, and that's what happened in Kansas at Lawrence. Uh, they, they took down Illinois 34-23 to 23 in large part because Jalen Daniels um, is an absolute gamer. Uh, he has breathed some serious life into that program. And obviously, their head coach is amazing too, but uh, it's it not a shocking win, but Illinois, man, you got to start feeling really bad about yourself. Uh, it was I, so I watched. This was on Friday night, I think. Uh, I watched a decent amount of this game, and Kansas. It, they turned into the Harlem Globetrotters, like they just made <laughs> Illinois made play after play on first and second down, and then third down, it was like forty-five yard pass. Like they get into third and 25 and convert. It was insane to watch because Daniels is that college quarterback who's super mobile, just makes things happen, has a has a good enough arm to get it down the field. He's got some receivers that can get open. Um, Lance Leopold and his staff deserve so much credit for the success that they have had at Kansas. It's it's pretty amazing. And speaking of guys who might get a, a chance at a job next year, don't be surprised if he's on a lot of university shortlists. Um, Including East Lansing's? Yeah, I, maybe. I, I listen. I, you can do a lot worse if you can win like that at Kansas. You can. I'm convinced you can walk on water. So it was. It was pretty amazing. Um, all I'll say for Illinois is they've got a couple guys. Jerzon Newton, their defensive tackle, is an NFL player, and he stood out in stark, stark contrast to everybody else that was on that field. Like. He's a, I think he's a first round pick. He was a stud that entire. He was, he was on, made Jalen Daniels all that much more impressive because he was breathing down his neck the entire game. Yeah, um, you know, beyond Illinois stinks. That's <laughs> that's the takeaway. Um, yeah. Ohio State thirty five to seven win over Youngstown State. I think my takeaway here is we're just used to Ohio State winning these ones by fifty, and. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, maybe they set the bar a little too high, but that's the bar I think you need to be at to be a serious uh, national championship contender, though, right? Winning these games by 50? Yeah. Uh, it helps. Um, yeah. I, this year, though, I mean, you're not seeing a lot of that, like, around the country this year, so it does make you feel like it's wide open. I, you got to feel okay. I mean, they got off to a slow start again in this one, so... Um, feels like a bit of a theme around the country, really. But, yeah, I think uh, McCord stepped up and had a much better much better day in this one. So you can, you can feel okay if you're Ohio State fans, but that's it. Marvin Harrison is a cheat code. When things get bad, just give him the ball. Seven receptions, 160 yards, and two tuds. Like, come on. That's yeah, ridiculous. Best player in college football by kind of a lot. Uh, Penn State – this is the type of score I was looking for at Ohio State. Penn State 63, Delaware 7. And Penn State for the second week in a row is my uh, most impressive Big Ten team. Um, what do you think? I'm ready to put a take on the record. 
Uh oh. I think Penn State is going to win the Big Ten. Oh. I think Penn State might win the national championship. Oh. oh. Yeah. Yes. I, I stand by it, and I know it's a 63-7 to win against, you know, Delaware. Not not a ton to read into this game in particular. But when you – you kind of said some of it earlier. An elite quarterback can do so much for you. And when you have an elite quarterback, your running game benefits. And when you have an elite left tackle, they both benefit. This team's got all of it. I, I mean, Drew Aller is – we're talking about – Guy who will, you know, it's kind of like two years ago when when Drake May sort of came out of left field to be everyone's like, oh, wait, now, wait a minute. This guy's a a top five pick. Um, I feel like Aller is going to have a very similar sensation come up here where everyone's acknowledging that next year his redshirt sophomore year will be his last in college football and that he's he's jockeying for draft position uh, as much as anything else. He, he's an Absolute superstar. They got two running, but three running backs really, and Allen Singleton and Trey Potts, the Minnesota transfer, who are all very good. Um, Keandre Lambert Smith and Dante Cephas, I think, are, are, are really legit offensive weapons. Even though Cephas didn't do a ton in this game, and that defense is rock solid. I mean, they've got great young corners. Jalen Reed being one of them. King Max, an awesome true freshman. Um, Chop Robinson is a legit difference maker, and he didn't even really play that much in this game. It's it's a great team, and when I compare them right now to Michigan and Ohio State, at a minimum, they're on par. And I think at this point, I would take Drew Aller with with anybody with any of those quarterbacks. Even though, even as well as JJ McCarthy has played, uh, I'll still I think Aller is at a minimum on par. So I'm willing to say that I think Penn State's going to win the conference. Maybe the national championship. I love it. You heard it here early enough. Um, it begs the question, how far can the Colorado Buffaloes go, who mm. with a very impressive 36-14 to 14 win at home against Nebraska, I mean, where is the ceiling for this program this year? Like, how good can it get? Or are uh, we still have, do we still have question marks? Oh, I have so many question marks. This is this win is as mirage as wins get. Mm. Nebraska sucks. <laughs> the, the, Nebraska is awful. They are they are somehow have changed all their leadership and are, are more Nebraska than I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, they do not have a quarterback that should be starting anywhere in college football. Jeff Sims is a tremendous athlete. He is not a quarterback. He he fumbled the ball, I think, three or four times in this one. Uh, he did have a really nice running touchdown, but that was it. They made stupid mistake. I, again, I watched a lot of this game. S- stupid mistake after stupid mistake. Colorado and, and Nebraska's defense really held them in it until kind of the bitter end. Colorado was another team like like uh, Kansas where they just made these like, – I don't know – they just turn into the Globetrotters out of nowhere and make these yeah. huge plays. And they have tons of offensive talent, but their defense, their offensive line was getting manhandled by by Nebraska. They were getting absolutely manhandled by a four-man rush. Uh, you get into the big, the heart of the Big 12, and you've got Oklahoma, and you've got Texas, and you've got even teams like Baylor and Texas Tech. Like th- these are teams with tons of talent. And uh, I, I just don't think they're all as stupid or as cursed as Nebraska. And so I, I just got a feeling that you're going to see uh, 
I think they might be good enough to win like six games, like a, which is a huge compliment. But even against a team like Kansas, like Kansas is going to go shot for shot with them when it comes to crazy offensive plays. So I, I just don't know. I just don't know if Colorado has the guys in the trenches to do like real, real damage. I think this this game to me says way more about Nebraska just being the most cursed college football program in the world, like the New York Jets of college football than anybody else. Well, let me remind you, Colorado is headed to the Big 12. They're still in the Pac-12. Um, yeah. Well, that's even worse. They're going to play at Oregon, um, USC, and um, – yeah, there's a couple other rank, three other ranking, four other rankings in there. You got UCLA, Oregon State, Washington State, Utah. Um, yeah, there's there's some wins, things that look a lot more winnable than they used to. Uh, Arizona State, Stanford, and maybe Arizona as well. Um, but like you said, you know, I think making a bowl game would just be astonishing. Um, I just don't know. We're still seeing how high the ceiling can go. I suppose. Well, first of all, thanks for covering for me for getting what. <laughs> Colorado was in and just totally showing my my age there. And I want to say those teams you talked about as kind of like the pushovers, Arizona, uh, I believe beat did they they oh no, they lost in overtime to Mississippi State. I thought they won yep. last week. Um still Jane Delores, not a bad quarterback. I mean, listen, it's it's at Oregon, USC at home, at Arizona State versus Stanford, nice little meaty stretch at UCLA. Home against Oregon State. They have six ranked teams today left on their schedule, with all of which are definitely better than either of the two we've played so far. So, yeah, I, you know, if they get six wins, Dion should get enough, whatever head coaching job he wants, he'll deserve it. In East Lansing? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep asking until, uh, uh, <laughs> until further notice, man. We've gone to Boulder before. Uh, okay. That's true. It, it, yeah, well, did it work? Mm, fair. <laughs> Purdue wins the game we said they shouldn't, 24-17 to 17 at Virginia Tech. Um, what can you say? That's Purdue football for you. Yeah, that's perfectly Purdue. Uh, Michigan takes down UNLV 35-7. to 7. Uh, JJ appears to be the real deal again. Um, Michigan is 0-2 against the spread. I only point that out because the way they play – you know, the style, the boa constrictor type of way. I'm, I'm experimenting with the Michigan unders the way I have got a proven um, winner in Iowa unders. Check on out on the Michigan unders, too, because it just the limited possessions. They don't get to score those fourth quarter touchdowns. You know, there just aren't quite as many possessions where they wear you down. So it just the game ends before you're truly worn down. So I'm just throwing it out there. Keep an eye on it for you. I like it. I think this new style really actually works to Michigan's advantage quite a bit. I think it plays to their their style of again just wanting to to bleed you dry because you just there's not as much time in any game. So I think it'll be interesting to see how it works against uh, some actual football teams. But yeah, so far so good for them. Northwestern comes back and totally redeems themselves. Uh, a dog in this one, but win 38 to seven against UTEP. Um, congrats, guys. Yeah, it's all hey, way to go, fellas. You, you didn't, didn't you, you were home dogs to UTEP, but you didn't lose. Exactly. So I guess there's something to take away there. Uh, Iowa 
beats Iowa State 20 to 13 in El Asico. Um, unknown if anyone gambled on this game, but um, we do know we are still under the 25 point per game um, mandates for Brian Ferentz. He's in a little trouble here. He's 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 losing ground, and we're just out of the gate. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, listen, they're two and zero, so I don't know how mad they're really going to be. But uh, yeah, Brian, come on, pal, got to pick it up. I mean, Cade. Kate McNamara, 20, or excuse me, 12 of 22 and a pick. Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Rutgers, 36 to 7 win uh, versus Temple. Rutgers, okay, starting to win games by respectable margins in the out of conference. Um, this has been uh, two in a row, took down Northwestern last week. They do have Virginia Tech this week, so we'll see where they're at. This is another good barometer game for them. Yeah, I, I start. I'm. I mean, I'm. I think I'm going to start treating them like Maryland, and just like whatever happens in September is just like its own mm-hmm. thing. But I think that's progress. Yeah, Treat, treating them like, hey, they're going to win these games instead mm-hmm. of like maybe like probably going to lose is mm-hmm. is that's that's progress. That's growth. Step forward. Uh, Minnesota takes down Eastern Michigan 25 to six does not cover. Um, I, I think you have a really strong, uh, defense. They held Eastern Michigan quarterback, Austin Smith to nine, nine completions on 20 attempts and a pick. Um, could Eastern couldn't run the ball either. Really only had about 152 yards of total offense. Uh, Minnesota still can't throw the ball. <laughs> it's, it's, and that's, that's the ceiling on this team, right? But they play in the Big Ten West, so it's like, does it even matter? I don't know. Yeah, it might not. Oh, man, shout out Austin Smith. That's, <laughs> I didn't know that until literally this exact second. Uh, pretty sick. Not uh-huh. great numbers, but uh, pretty sick either way. Um, yeah, dude, I don't know what else to say. Minnesota ran the hell out of the ball in this game, mm-hmm. 56 times for 296 yards with two touchdowns <laughs> with no runs over 22 yards. That's just a <laughs> legend. Like these poor Eastern Michigan kids. Um, but once again, Athon Kaliakman is efficient, certainly 10 of 15. But, you know, I, I just can't imagine them. I don't know how Minnesota, Iowa is going. The Floyd of Rosedale will be. Mm. Oof, boy, you got to love football to watch that one. That's going to be a strong Iowa under for me. Oh, yeah. Maryland. That might be like a 26-point. <laughs> That's going to be bad. Uh, Maryland, uh, 38. Charlotte, 20. Uh, Maryland was down 14 to nothing at one point in this game. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, got back on track. It's not quite the September Maryland we are accustomed to, though. Yeah, which is either a good thing mm-hmm. or a really, really bad thing. Yeah, we'll soon uh, to find it, out. It's hard to say which. <laughs> Wisconsin um, travels out west, loses to Washington State 31-22. to Listen, the Buffalo game wasn't great last week. This one was really not what you wanted. Um, their, their quarterback... Uh, Tanner Mordecai, 25 of 40, 278 yards, one touchdown. 
but they couldn't really run the ball, uh, which is just weird to say, even though they've changed up the way they're going to run their offenses. So this kind of begs the question, Austin, I'll let you talk about this game, but also consider Michigan State couldn't go out to Arizona State and win those games against a mid-to-bad program. Wisconsin's lost back-to-back to Washington State. Um, you know, adding these Pac-12 teams, while it's not Arizona State and Washington State, traveling out west to play games has not been kind of the Big Ten. Oh, yeah. What You know, that is an inherent massive advantage until proven otherwise for oh. the uh, four West Coast teams. Yeah, I think so. I think it's also, you know, I don't think it's unfair to think of things the other way around, though. Mm-hmm. I, you know, traveling east, it, it adds an element that is always challenging for teams. So I do wonder if, like, the overall records, like, we don't see teams run away with the conference. I think we probably see a lot more losses uh, in those types of games. So, yeah, that's it'll be interesting. I think th- this is what you've seen in this game is the the potential downside when you flip a roster. Uh, is because yep. again, Wisconsin, yeah, they changed some things up, but they didn't lose offensive linemen, right? They lost, I think it was Joe Tipman left, but like they still have big time O linemen recruits that are on this roster and they couldn't run the ball. Like, if I'm looking for red flags, that's that's a big one. Um, and you know, Mordecai did fine, but yeah, gosh, you, you you only run the ball for 90 yards against Washington State. And again, credit to Washington State, fighting hard, playing hard. It's not a talented roster. Like, make make no mistake. Like that is not is not an easy place to recruit to. Uh, and you know, it shows when you look at it, especially on paper. But um, you know, again, credit to them for for winning. If I'm I'm from Wisconsin, I'm I'm a little nervous. Uh, because I don't think games get, I guess in your division, you know, you, you're, they're probably still one of the favorites, if not the favorite. But yeah, not a great, it's probably more indicative of the team they are than what the final record will be. It's it's tough because their crossovers are Rutgers, Indiana, and Ohio State at home. So I just, and they get to play the entire Big Ten West. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's annoying. It's very it annoying. annoying, dude. Uh, let's let's go through the national and Big Ten preview here quickly. Uh, LSU heads to Mississippi State, nine and a half point favorites. Is this an Ope game? Yes. Good question, John. Uh, I believe it's an Ope game. I don't necessarily know that Mississippi State is like this great team, but I just I don't get great vibes out of Baton Rouge right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh, obviously lost that first game last week, you know, didn't didn't do a ton of him. You know, they they I think they kind of just took care of business week two. But this is a tricky one. Like mm-hmm. this is this is a huge game for a team like Mississippi State. They're coming home. They just won, like we said, in overtime against Arizona. Um, you know, so they're feeling themselves a little bit here. New head coach, getting excited, all that good stuff. But yeah, uh, they we know they like to throw the ball. So it's gonna test what looks like a suspect secondary for mm-hmm. LS, what they played, how they played against Florida State. So, yeah, it's always tough. Like Minnesota or Mississippi State, definitely a less talented team, but not an untalented team. Right. Still, you see, still, still got a lot going for them. So, yeah, I think this is a potential hope here. I like it. Uh, it's kind of a weak slate this week. I'm going to be candid with you guys. Um, 
But uh, Central Michigan heads to Notre Dame. I call this one out because Notre Dame is a well. Notre Dame is a thirty-four and a half point favorite. I just want to see how a common opponent does. You know, where where does MSU stack up? Um, we sure. obviously will find out against Washington, but also this is another interesting comparison. Yeah, it's also potentially a big one for Sam Hartman's Heisman campaign. You should be able to pad some stats. There you go. Uh, let's see. Let's go up to. Uh, Oregon State, the darling of the country right now, 24 and a half point favorite at home against San Diego State. Uh, they and Washington State, both undefeated. I think everyone's just kind of rooting for them um, as they got left out in the cold. This is the, until further notice, kind of their final hurrah. Or, or they are the new faces of the uh, Pac 12. Did you, I don't know if you saw, they sued for an injunction. <laughs> Awesome. against the rest of the Pac-12 uh, meeting uh, as like a board so that I, I read there's some clause that um, they can keep the conference for like two years, okay, essentially, and like backfill it more or less. So we could sure. very, very possibly end up with a still having a Pac-12 showing on fridges across the world. But, oh. uh, but it'll be like, San Diego State awesome. and Boise and all awesome. of this weird stuff. Awesome. I love the uh, I, I love the Conference of Champions, you know, getting a complete makeover. Uh, Just some new champion. Tennessee heads to the swamp, six and a half point favorites in this one. Um, I don't know, man. This, this isn't both of these teams were hot. I don't know how hot they are now. Oh, who do you have in this one? It feels like a mid-off. It would be very Tennessee of Tennessee to lose this game. Yeah, 100%. Because they're the better better team in my estimation. But it would be very Tennessee of them to lose at the Swamp at night. I mean, gosh. This is a sweet game, though. That's just just college football right there. I'm very excited about that. Even if either team does anything. Let's flip it. Is Billy Napier coaching for his job? Uh, listen, it's I'm not loud. saying yes. I'm not saying yes for sure, but I'm not saying no for sure either. They they are wild boys down there. Like they they have done crazier things than fire uh, the head coaches um, after week three. All right, TCU heads to Houston, seven point favorite. Um, what do you think? I got Houston. I know oh, they. I think they lost a game this week, if I remember correctly. Um, hold on, I gotta look it up. Uh, but I don't know. I just I'm not. Yeah, they lost in overtime to Rice. JT Daniels in Yikes. his 478th collegiate season threw for 400 yards and three tutties. Uh, double overtime took a 21 nothing. Houston was down 28 to seven heading into the fourth quarter and tied the game. Uh, <laughs> Ultimately lost 43-41. Um, yeah, just awesome all the way around, uh, including scoring. They scored with three minutes and 46 seconds left and then again with 15 seconds left. So just <laughs> awesome stuff. So, and they basically lost on a failed two-point conversion. Uh, I kind of buy Houston in this one. I, I think part, part of it's just because I don't really buy TCU. Night game, coming home after a tough loss. I don't know. I got Houston fired up. Okay, I like it. I like that JT Daniels is still a quarterback. Um, I think if you're keeping track at home, this would be his fourth, fourth 
team. USC, Georgia, West Virginia, now Rice. So Yeah, I like that it's four teams, four different conferences, four completely different parts of the world. Just just awesome. Globetrotter, man. Uh, all right. Let's see, moving forward in the Big Ten schedule quickly. On a Friday night, Virginia heads to Maryland in what was going to be a little bit of a barometer, but then we saw Virginia, I think it's just like – Barely beat James Madison, um, and then I want to say, did they lose last week? So I'm, I'm just I'm very unmoved by the uh, Cavaliers right now. Yeah, I mean, it's Virginia football. Sure. That's all I got. All right, so we're feeling good. We're feeling good about uh, Maryland in this one. Yes. Uh, Wisconsin, a 19-point favorite against Georgia Southern. Um, I don't know if I trust Wisconsin to do anything anymore. I'm not betting on them. No, I don't trust them to cover that. Georgia Southern beat them? No way. Georgia Southern beat somebody really good in the last couple of years, and I can't remember who it was. But who was it? No, I thought Georgia. Hold on. Live research here. <laughs> okay. The Georgia Southern heads to Camp Randall seeking their second straight FBS upset. Yeah. They beat Nebraska. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's course. Crazy. I remember this now. Uh, yeah, yeah of that's course. Yeah, this is old. This is old hat for Georgia Southern. I think they're definitely going to cover at least. They got a taste for Big Ten West blood. Oh, maybe. Uh, Louisville, ten point favorite at Indiana. Um, like we already mentioned, we're going to find out if Indiana is a doormat or are they going to be competitive. Yeah, I, I mean, this one to me is. I mean, if, if Indiana wins this one, they've got a very good shot at going to a bowl game, which I'm not sure anybody would have necessarily said coming into the season. So uh, I don't know if Louisville's any good. I watched a little bit of them against Georgia Tech, who I also am not sure if they're any good early in the they're season. Not. Yeah, they're, they're not. Spoiler alert, they're not. Uh, I think 10 points is generous for Louisville in this one, but we, we shall see. Penn State takes uh... – Takes the bus and gets over to Illinois. Going to be a 14.5-point favorite. Based on Illinois' last performance and what Penn State's been doing, it kind of screams Nittany Lions, right? Yeah, this feels like uh, – this one feels like a blowout. 14.5 feels – I mean, that's a two-touchdown spread. More than that, it's a three-score three score win. But um, I – yeah, I like Penn State. I think they're going to go in and roll them, especially 11 a.m. Like, that just screams blowout to me. Um, Western Michigan heading to Iowa. Iowa, 28-and-a-half-point favorite. Relevant because they haven't come close to scoring 29 points in a game, so covering will be difficult. But um, (laughs) here we go. Uh, It's appointment television for me at this point. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, this, Brian's got, he's what, he's six points behind right mm-hmm. now. So he's yep. got to get 31, which would have them with a shutout cover. Yep. Uh, maybe. But it's yeah, on the, table. The, the tracker is well, well, uh, well kept right now, well attended. He's got to be chasing points here. Uh, Northwestern heads to Duke. Surprise Duke team. Remember, you called them beating Clemson. Uh, Duke, um, 18 and a half point favorite. Quietly, all they've been doing is winning football games lately, right? Another guy who, again, we want to get preemptive with our head coach search. Mike mm-hmm. Elko uh, at Duke has done nothing short of 
a borderline miracle. He went to Duke and they won, I think last year was his first year and they won nine games and now they've coming off a upset of, of Clemson. And uh, yeah, they've, they've got a chance to get a win over a, a big 10 team. Now he loses this one and yeah, I'm, I'm no longer interested in your services, but uh, yeah, he's got a chance to just keep winning. Don't look now. They're going to play Northwestern and then at UConn and then they will host number currently number nine, Notre Dame. Mm. Yeah is a very interesting and spicy little matchup. Extremely hateable game, but I'm very excited to watch it. Two quarterbacks that are uh, vying for a draft position. Absolutely. Riley Leonard and Sam Hartman. Uh, Keeping it rolling. Uh, Minnesota heads to North Carolina and the Golden Gophers. We got to know how this is going to work out for them. Uh, Listen, I just can't imagine it going well. On the road at... North Carolina. Listen, has their defense has been okay? I don't know how they're scoring. Like I, I just cannot imagine them scoring enough. Uh, Northwestern, or excuse me, North Carolina, super talented roster up and down. Um, I think they have kind of this erratic nature where maybe they. I mean, it, it took them what overtime to beat Appalachian State just this past week. That's two straight years App State has given yep. absolute fits. But uh, yeah, they've still got Drake May, and as long as it's Drake May against. Kali Akmanis, uh, yeah. I, I know who I'm picking. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Virginia Tech at Rutgers. Um, like we said, Rutgers seven-point favorite in this one. I mean, that is that alone is, while I know Virginia Tech is downtrodden, in years past, Virginia, I don't care. Rutgers is not favored by a tutty. No. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know who this says more about. Yeah, great point. Um yeah, it'd be interesting just to see how that one plays out. I don't want to watch a second. I'm out. rooting for Rutgers. Yeah. Um, Ohio State, 28-point favorite against the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers without Bailey Zapp, sadly. Mm. Um, Ohio State, all eyes are on them every week, and everyone just all they do is judge if they win by enough, right? And Pretty much. Uh, that's the burden. Yeah, I mean, Plus, again, great expectations. This is, this is what you get. Uh, must but be nice. Yeah, seriously means you've had some good times um so yeah i all eyes will once again be on mccord it looked like you figured out this week that you just you just keep throwing the ball to marvin harrison and yep that's just that's just what you do um nebraska looking for their first win of the year against the northern illinois rocky lombardis mm. was very excited might be uh undefeated coming into this matchup but no um, Northern Illinois, after beating Boston College in overtime in week one, dropped one at home to Southern Illinois. Oh. Uh, 14 to 11. The, the Salukis. The Salukis nipped them. So uh, I'm feeling, I thought it was going to be a fun thing, but Northern Illinois is truly bad. I don't know how bad Boston College is, but dear mm. God. Uh, but there you go. Nebraska should get back on track. Should, but. Let us not forget who we are dealing with here. This is Nebraska. And I just, yeah, dude, I just don't, I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm starting to pity the fan base. And, but I mean, I always go back to the fact that they, they cheated and stole a win from us like eight years ago. But yeah. boy, I just, they've, whew, it's tough times. Hard time. it's, it's crazy. This, this head coach, they're so excited about Matt Rule. I don't know that I remember a head coaching tenure just getting off to a worse immediate start. <laughs> Like, just right away, just absolute um, shit. Uh, maybe it was Scott Frost. 
I think might have been. maybe, yeah. <laughs> the last one. Uh, Bowling Green at Michigan, 40 and a half point favorite uh, Wolverines. I'm taking, I'm taking the under again. I'm going to try it out. Yeah, I mean, again, I did, don't don't fix it if it ain't broke. Uh, yeah, I mean, Michigan's going to roll again. This is what they do, just warming up the engine, hoping to avoid injury. So I'd expect more of the same this weekend. And then finally, to close it out, chaos game, Syracuse, two-and-a-half-point favorite at Purdue. Um, man, Purdue just – every game they're in is going to be a fun one to watch, though. It's going to yeah. be terrible, but entertaining. I'd rather just watch them play basketball. I don't even know if Syracuse is going to be any good, but I'd kind of just rather watch them play basketball personally. Last week, I want to say Syracuse dropped like 65 points or something. So, oh. yeah, they they oh 65 on Colgate and then 48 to seven on Western Michigan's head. Oh, so. powerhouse Syracuse Orangemen. Let's go Orange out of nowhere, um, man. So, uh, okay, and that one, I'm gonna just rock. I'm gonna rock with. Uh, Syracuse. I don't. Purdue is unserious to me. Well, yeah, we know that. This we know. Deeply unserious. Okay, let's jump to Michigan State versus Washington. One of the bigger games in the entire country. If you heard that national slate, not um, too um, awesome. This one uh, preseason, Michigan State was about an eleven and a half point underdog. Um, opened at fourteen and a half, and then forty eight hours ago, Michigan State went under. Some turmoil. <laughs> Their head coach, the line has jumped to 16 in Austin. We talked about how this game was going to be an indicator of the future for Michigan State uh, for a long time. I don't know if I felt very good about the game going in, regardless of how they played the last two games. How do you feel? Do you feel better or worse with the new head coach going into this one? I, you know, it's really, it's almost impossible to say. Um, on one hand, you're like, oh my god, we lost our guy, the the face of the program, all these things. On the other side, it's not crazy to think that this could be the like. You know, they, they, how this team responds to adversity. Like, it, I think the how this game goes will tell you a lot about, well, really the viability of um, Harlan Barnett as a potential long-term head coach. It also might just not tell you anything. But I do think that in a way, in the extremely short term, what happened this week probably does galvanize these guys together in a way. Um, I don't know how it can't, but it'll be interesting to see, like, because it, I just envision it going one of two ways, either all of this outside distraction gets to them, which would be completely understandable. Uh, and they just sort of come apart at the seams or this, they truly just go fully insulate themselves and it provides, uh, you know, some motivation to prove that. You know they're they're still who they always thought they could be. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, what I what I can say from like a on the field perspective is that it's going to be a difficult matchup. Washington is an extremely potent offense. They do 
almost all of their work through the air. Kalen DeBoer, uh, their head coach, former, uh, again, we, we talked about Indiana uh, days of, you know, the, the past glories. Um, he was the offensive coordinator there before leaving for uh, Washington. Uh, took Michael Penix with him. You remember him passing at Indiana while well, he's back and much better at Washington because he is surrounded by some incredible talent. This year he's thrown for in, through two games, completing 73% of his passes, 859 yards, eight touchdowns, one pick through the air. He's surrounded by a trio of extremely good receivers in Romo Dunze, Jalen McMillan, and Jalen Polk. He's also got Jeremy Bernard uh, mm. from the face there at uh, at wide receiver. So it's a deep group. It is a talented group. Uh, and it has a, a great scheme attached to it. If you're looking for potential areas of you know red flags uh, against them, partially by design, but partially not, they don't run the ball really at all. Will Nixon is their leading ball carrier and leading yardage getter. He has 12 carries through two games for 78 yards. It's not a lot on the ground. So this is a team that is is going to do the vast, vast majority of the work through the air. Uh, and they're going to spread it around to do so. They have certainly the uh, the the bodies to do it. And, you know, I think that's that's kind of the deciding factor here. Is, and it's one of the things we don't really know about Michigan State yet because the two off- offenses they've played have been essentially two offenses that can't really throw the ball. So mm-hmm. this is pretty much the exact opposite. Now, in some ways, Washington, in some ways, it's going to work to Michigan State's advantage that they have such a good run defense because Washington already isn't going to try to run. But now at least you can kind of key in on like not even having to really stop it and kind of throwing all of your defensive resources at slowing down the pass or getting after the quarterback to, yep. to make him think twice. One thing that could stand out here is that Jacoby Winman did miss the second half of last week's game. You like to think it was precautionary, but it's, it's hard to tell. Um, he didn't come off with any type of like big injury or non-contact or anything. Uh, but I think he may have, I think it was his ankle, but you know, if your best pass rusher is not a part of the game, obviously not, not great against the team as talented and that's going to pass as often as Washington. So would expect to see a, uh, Honestly, I'd expect to see a lot of this offense or this defense that everybody in East Lansing hates at this point, which is the let them get seven yards and pinch the margins once they get in the end zone. I don't know that there's a better route to take against them. It's a really good explosive offense. Yeah, you nailed it. It's going to be the defense that everyone kind of hated uh, the past two years, the bend but don't break. But in reality, if you don't play that way, they're going to burn you. I mean, they, there's just no margin for error with these um, wide receivers. They three in the top 33 in the country in receiving yards. So, I mean, it's just hard. It's it's hard to to um, to do anything but kind of sit back and hold them to field goals, right? And and you're gonna, just going to have to have a couple bounces go your way as well. Um, yep. And in, in reality, limit the time number of possessions Michael Penix has. Like, and and that's going to involve. Nathan Carter basically going to have to be slowly, methodically churning out first downs for Michigan State. Can Michigan State's offensive line do it? I, 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 that's a tall task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, they certainly didn't do it with ease, so uh, they'll have to to prove something to us here in the uh, in this game. Um, yeah, I, what I will say is 
Washington's defense can be had. I mean, they've given up 360 yards on average in these first two games against Tulsa and Boise State. Not exactly powerhouses. Boise State did have it to, as a two-score game uh, late-ish. It was, I mean, it's going to sound worse than I intended it, but 35-19 to 19 midway through the third quarter. Again, that's a two-score game, and that's Boise State. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is, Washington's capable of these huge quarters. They can attack so quickly. So for Michigan State, I think uh, in a lot of ways, def- I mean, defensively, it's all about home run prevention. You can't let them hit the bombs. You can't let them make these big explosive plays. You have to try and limit them as much as you can. So I'd expect to see a lot of that zone coverage, make Penix think uh, and make them protect the passer. Defend, uh, and then offensively, yeah, I think the key for Michigan State is you got to get off to a good start. You, you cannot be going two, three and outs to start the game because just as easily as you're going two, three and out, they could go two, three and touchdown, you know, drives to start the game. So you don't have to execute a 15 play miracle, you know, sluggo, you know, two yards in a clump of dirt uh, type of drive to start the game. But you need to control the clock to whatever way you can. Cause if you try to get in a shootout with them, it's just, it's just not, not going to happen, but their defense is gettable. I, I think there is, there is opportunity for Michigan state to score. They're going to need Kim to more or less be what he's been the last couple of weeks. I think one thing to look out for in particular is uh, I would love to see some creative thinking in terms of getting the ball in Nathan Carter's hands. Uh, I don't know that he's going to have the ability to just run straight ahead this Washington defensive front. While again, they they've been, you know, given up a decent amount of yardage. It's still a very, very talented group filled with a lot of, uh, you know, at one point in time, highly ranked recruits. So, you know, I don't know that he's going to do some much traditional running, getting the ball in his hand with short passes, screen passes, Things of that nature are going to be going to be absolutely key. It's going to take MSU's A plus game to hang, and or somehow win this game. They're going to need some bounces to go their way. They're going to have to, you know, execute on special teams and do all the smart stuff that they've been doing the first two weeks. But um, given all of the other extracurriculars, it, it's hard to predict exactly how this game is going to going to go. Yeah, I think the way you win this one is. You you look at the scoreboard and you think that the game should be closer or should be further apart than it actually is, right? Like it's you're like, wow, they're only down ten. Wow, they're only down eleven in the yeah. fourth quarter, and all of a sudden it's like, wow. And then they score a touchdown, and you're like down three, and, you're th- and then there's some pant shit going on, on the other sideline, yeah. right? Like that's the kind of game it may have to be. In the home field advantage is going to be massive. Making Michael Penix move is going to be massive. Yeah. I don't know if you can because their offense is just so quick hitting, but th- that's the way you got to make him mobile. And um, yeah, we have the athletes up front to do that. I mean, MSU was able to score last year. I think they put yep. up almost 30 points. That wasn't the issue. It's and, and this will be the way that it is for all Washington opponents all year. Can you keep them from making tons of explosive plays? If so, you got a chance, but it's much, much easier said than done. Um. Gonna share head off, heads off for these kids. Um, they deserve it, and you know, might be surprised um, with with the resolve. I, I I really do think that you add in a twist like this, you never know it could go really bad, or there's a chance that you know things improve. Um, there's there's something some juice there, 
And then I would almost bet everything there will be one trick play because Mark D'Antonio is on that sideline. Well, I mean, Jay Johnson can't help himself. And I think he has found a uh, supporter of his trick plays in Mark D'Antonio. I guarantee you, guarantee you, they, they, they put that all on tape for a reason. They ran those things early, like in the first two games because they want Washington to prepare for them. Wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised to see some type of like play off of one of those. That's also a trick play, but it's something different. Weird. Yeah. So good call. All right. Well, that's it on my end. Um, any other things we should watch out for? I don't think so. Just try to enjoy the football. Um, it's all going to be okay. Enjoy the football. This show is brought to you by Bet Online. For John, this has been Austin. We'll catch you next week. Yep. Yeah.